putting our children at risk. Kirby Anderson provides the medical and scientific perspective on transgenderism. Now, on Probe. This week we'll be discussing the phenomenon of transgenderism. It has been the topic in the news for more than a decade. Therefore, Christians need to know what to think about the various claims being made. We also need to know how to respond to an aggressive push by the trans activists to normalize this behavior and criticize anyone who does not accept it. Transgenderism is the belief that people have a gender identity that is distinct from their sex. If they feel there's a conflict between their gender and their sex, gender identity should take precedence. Although a very small fraction of the population may experience gender dysphoria, the current percentage of Americans identifying as transgender or non-binary has exploded. Dr. Paul McHugh has served as the professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Johns Hopkins Medical School. He has concluded that gender reassignment surgery doesn't work. He, along with Dr. Lawrence Mayer, surveyed over 200 peer-reviewed studies done in various disciplines. Here are four of the most important conclusions from their paper. First, the belief that sexual orientation is an innate, biologically fixed human property is not supported. In other words, people are not born that way. Second, the belief that gender identity is an innate, fixed human property independent of biological sex, so that a person may be a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body is not supported by scientific evidence. Third, only a minority of children who express gender atypical thoughts or behavior will continue to do so into adolescence or adulthood. He goes on to say that children should not be encouraged to become transgender. They also should not be subjected to hormone treatments or surgery. And fourth, people who are homosexual or transgender have higher rates of mental problems, anxiety, depression, suicide, as well as behavioral and social problems, substance abuse, intimate partner violence, than the general population. While the paper only focuses on the scientific research, it obviously has implications for public policy. Incorrect scientific claims that have been used to justify court rulings, government policies and medical practices concerning sexual orientation and gender identity. They have not been based upon sound science. So tomorrow we'll focus more attention on some of the research into transgenderism and then talk about the possibility that much of the increase in transgender claims is due to social contagion. This has been Probe with your host, Kirby Anderson. I'm reminded of a quip. Don't confuse me with the facts. See the science that runs counter the transgender agenda. Get Kirby's transcript at probe.org. Then join us next time here on Probe. Yesterday, we talked about some of the scientific research into homosexuality and transgenderism. Dr. Paul McHugh and Dr. Lawrence Mayer surveyed over 200 peer-reviewed studies and came to conclusions that are contrary to much of the current statements being made by trans activists. Now, Dr. Paul McHugh was also one of the authors of a statement by the American College of Pediatricians. The title of their statement was, Gender Ideology Harms Children. Here is a summary sentence of two of the eight points that they make in their statement. Number one, human sexuality is an objective biological binary trait. XY and XX are genetic markers of health, not genetic markers of a disorder. Number two, no one is born with a gender. Everyone is born with a biological sex. Gender and awareness and a sense of oneself as male or female is a sociological and psychological concept, not an objective biological one. 
Number three, a person's belief that he or she is something that they are not is at best a sign of confused thinking. Number four, puberty is not a disease and puberty-blocking hormones can be dangerous. Number five, according to the DSM, that would be the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, as many as 98% of gender-confused boys and 88% of gender-confused girls eventually accept their biological sex after naturally passing through puberty. Number six, pre-pubertal children diagnosed with gender dysphoria may be given puberty blockers as young as 11 and will require cross-sex hormones in later adolescence to continue impersonating the opposite sex. These children will never be able to conceive any genetically related children, even via artificial reproductive technology. In addition, cross-sex hormones like testosterone and estrogen are associated with dangerous health risks, including but not limited to cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, blood clots, stroke, diabetes, and cancer. Number seven, rates of suicide are nearly 20 times greater among adults who use cross-sex hormones and undergo sex reassignment surgery, even in Sweden, which is the most LGBTQ-affirming countries. And eighth, conditioning children into believing that a lifetime of chemical and surgical impersonation of the opposite sex is normal and healthful is child abuse. So tomorrow, we'll look at the issue of gender dysphoria. Abigail Schreier wrote about the transgender craze in her book, Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. In my radio interview with her, she explained that gender dysphoria was characterized by severe and persistent discomfort in one's biological sex. It typically begins in early childhood. In previous generations, it afflicted a sliver of the population, roughly one hundredths of a percent, and occurred mostly in boys. Prior to 2012, there was no scientific literature on girls 11 to 21 of ever having developed gender dysphoria at all. Then the Western world experienced a sudden surge of adolescents claiming to have gender dysphoria and self-identifying as transgender. In 2016, Lisa Littman, an OB-GYN public health researcher, was scrolling through social media when she noticed a statistical peculiarity. Several adolescents, most of them girls, from a small town in Rhode Island had come out as transgender. In fact, they were all from the same friend group. She admitted that she knew very little about gender dysphoria, but this statistical anomaly was interesting to her, and she then noticed that there had been a sudden spike in the Western world of girls experiencing gender dysphoria. She immersed herself in the scientific literature on gender dysphoria to try to understand what was happening. Perhaps it was due to increased social acceptance of LGBTQ people, but she suggested in a peer-review paper that the girls might have been rushing towards transition because because of pure contagion. As you might imagine, her suggestion was roundly criticized. She was also accused of being anti-trans bigotry. In a subsequent research project, she collected data anonymously from 256 parents whose kids had not met the criteria of gender dysphoria in childhood, but suddenly identified as transgender in adolescence. She identified 16 traits in common. Here are just a few. The vast majority had zero indicators of child gender dysphoria. A majority had one or more psychiatric diagnoses, and almost half were engaged in self-harm prior to the onset of dysphoria. 
nearly 70% of the teenagers belonged to a peer group in which at least one friend had come out as transgender. There's growing evidence that social contagion is a much better explanation for the notable increase in the number of young people, especially young women who now claim to be transgender. Transgenderism has been proposed through social media, through the schools, and even through the medical establishment. Abigail Schreier began to look at the influence of social media on the transgender craze. In her chapter on The Influencers, she talks about trans promoters who become a YouTube sensation. We are seeing similar promoters on TikTok and other social media platforms. And here are a few of the ideas she discovered. If you think you might be trans, you are. Testosterone is amazing. You might just solve all of your problems. If your parents love you, they will support your trans identity. Deceiving parents and doctors is justified if it helps the transition. And you don't have to identify as the opposite sex to be trans. She also found that transgenderism has been promoted through the schools. One program coordinator she talked to acknowledged that the schools today have changed. Now schools have expanded to be the hub for a lot more than social services and are looking more holistically and emotionally at what's going on with children. In other words, they have become the source of social justice. Now, you might wonder how schools teach about transgenderism to young children. Teachers begin by talking about gender identity. A book intended for kindergarten teachers to read to their children reinforces the idea that gender is a social construct. It begins with a familiar origin stories. Babies can't talk, so grown-ups make a guess by looking at their bodies. This is sex assigned to you at birth, male or female. It then provides a list of gender options, trans, gender queer, non-binary, gender fluid, transgender, gender neutral, agender, bigender, and much more. Transgender charts and diagrams are being used in the schools. There is the gender-bred person that is supposed to help children sort out how their gender identity and their gender expression relates to their biological sex. And there is the gender unicorn that is supposed to help them understand who they may be physically attracted to and emotionally attracted to. As a matter of fact, the American Psychological Association even put together guidelines for the care of transgender and gender non-conforming patients. Doctors must provide gender-affirming care, which is defined as being respectful, aware, and supportive of the identities and life experiences of these people. Tomorrow, we'll talk about how to respond to the transgender moment. Ryan Anderson is the author of the book, When Harry Became Sally, Responding to the Transgender Moment. When I interviewed him on his book, he explained how transgender ideology promotes the opportunity for children to change their gender with surgery and drugs. And parents are told that puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones may be the only way to prevent their child from committing suicide. Ryan Anderson countered that the best studies of gender dysphoria have found that between 80 and 95 percent of children who express a discordant gender identity will come to identify with their bodily sex if natural development is allowed to proceed. He also documented that even children going through transitioning treatment still have an extraordinarily high rate of suicide attempts compared to the general population. He reminded us that we should be tolerant and loving towards children and adults who struggle with their gender identity, but we should also be aware of the potential harm when transgender identity is normalized.
Unfortunately, we're living in a world where transgender activists want more than tolerance and kindness. They demand affirmation. We aren't allowed to question whether using medical treatments to aid in transgender transformation is positive for children. In his book, Ryan Anderson shows that the best biology, psychology, and philosophy support an understanding of sex as a bodily reality. As he puts it, biology isn't bigotry. Abigail Schreier also offers several suggestions. First, don't get your kid a smartphone. She explains that nearly every problem teenagers face traces itself back to the introduction of the smartphone years ago. Second, don't relinquish your authority as a parent. You don't have to go along with every idea that your teenager has, nor do you have to go along with every educational or psychological fad being promoted in society. Third, don't support gender ideology in your child's education. She provides an example of what happens when schools do a seminar on anorexia or suicide. Often the prevalence increases. A small number of students may have gender confusion or gender dysphoria, but talking about it will spread confusion. Finally, don't be afraid to admit that it's wonderful to be a girl. While she talks about the benefits and opportunities of being a girl, Christians can go even further. We believe God is responsible for who we are and what we are. Each of us is created in God's image, and we can celebrate girls and boys and encourage them to use their gender and their gifts to the glory of God.